0: Plugged in podcast, where we will have honest, courageous, and fun conversations about how women are plugging into climate, energy, and sustainable solutions for the planet. I am your host, Megan Bennett, and on this podcast, I will be giving women who are doing the vital work of saving our planet a platform to share their stories, their ideas, and their dreams for a better future. And I hope these conversations will inspire us all to plug into our personal missions and expand what we think is possible for our families, our communities, our work, and ultimately our planet, starting today. Welcome to the Plugged In Podcast. On today's episode of Plugged In, I speak with Fatima Carrier. I'm going to read you Fatima's bio. Inspired by the power of people and armed with a bias for action... Fatima has been working on programs that inspire social and environmental change for nearly 15 years. She is currently VP Strategy and Partnerships at the Atmospheric Fund, also known as TAF, which is a municipal agency focused on advancing low-carbon solutions in the Greater Toronto and Hamilton area. Prior to joining TAF, Fatima was Ecobee's first-ever Director of Impact and Sustainability responsible for leading efforts from employee initiatives to customer-facing programs that delivered social, environmental, as well as business value for the emerging technology company. Fatima also worked in impact marketing and communications with Public Inc. and cut her teeth designing and implementing public engagement programs on air pollution, recycling, and climate change at Summerhill Impact. This episode was recorded in February of 2020 Pre-COVID-19, we sat down together at the Summerhill offices in Toronto, and we chatted about change. Maybe, ironically, given the deep change that was coming, barreling at us that we weren't even aware of. But we talked about change in the context of climate and carbon, and what is going to be required to make the necessary pivots to a low-carbon future, and why it's hard for organizations, cities, movements, and markets to change. She shared insights on the importance of using our voices as citizens and as women, how to advocate for our needs. So as always, a pure joy to spend time and chat with Fatima. I hope you enjoy it as well. Here we are. Fatima, welcome to Plugged In. Or I really should say welcome back. (laughs) To Plugged In. Uh, some full transparency here. My very first interview that I did for Plugged In was with Fatima back in July of 2019, but I never released it. Um, for those that follow along on Instagram, you can see photos from that first interview, but before I had invested in these microphones and some audio equipment. So the discussion was so good with you, Fatima. But the audio was really uh, a bit of a challenge. So I had been putting off releasing the episode, but I was torn because it was so good. And um, so when I heard you had a new job, this Mm -hmm. new incredible Mm -hmm. opportunity at the Atmospheric Fund, I was reminded that the universe works in interesting and mysterious and beautiful ways. So here we are again, a new year, new microphones, (laughs) You have a new job. I have some new questions. And thank you again. I read your bio in the intro. Oh, great. And I want to start with talking about the first line of your bio. Yeah. And it says that you are inspired by the power of people and armed with a bias for action. (laughs) And, oh, I read that. It was so good. So good. And um, I think it's a brilliant one-liner description of who you are and what you do and and it really brings it brings it to life for me in one line so well done so I want to dig into that tell me <clears throat> what is it about the power of people that inspires you
1: oh, it's a good uh, good big opening question those words mean a lot so I appreciate you noticing them Um People inspire me, one person can inspire me for the, you know, for the beliefs that they can hold and the change that they can make, and right now, in particular, the way people are coming together is really, really inspiring to me. You know, full disclosure, I'm 39 years old, I'm going to be 40 this year. I've been working in the field, in this field, for 15 years. Um, I've been around for longer. The world has never looked like this, and people are making that change. And you know, I know we're going to dig into it as we as we unpack the the podcast today. But the work we're doing is hard. The challenge we face uh, feels insurmountable. I don't believe it is, because I believe uh, in 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 people. You know, everything from the way young people are organizing, uh, and not just organizing, and not just getting mad, but getting action. You know, framing policy ideas, getting their message out, inspiring adults that inspires me but also the remembering that we're all people like even those big you know ivory towers and those institutions they're full of human beings who have minds and hearts and value systems and have decision making power and can raise issues
0: and you know that uh, that fuels me do you remember where that started or where it came from like do you remember i don't know like the first time or like I don't know like do you have a memory of being a kid and like feeling that energy the power of people yeah oh man I mean I grew up uh, I feel really fortunate
1: and thankful like I grew up in a household where voluntary service where community were even even family these were really important concepts we know we cast a really wide net if you were related married or friends you were a family right and um in the faith community I belong to Volunteerism was a big ethic, and so I can't remember a distinct moment where my eyes opened to that. Mm -hmm. More so, I feel like I was always raised to feel like you have the power to make change, and you have a responsibility to contribute. I mean, one of the things that I was always taught was, you know, um, what like I I think I just said it. Like, what's the contribution that you're Mm going to make? You know, Mm -hmm. what what a blessing to be born to be on this earth. What are you going to do with your time? The other thing, Megan, too, if I can just take us one place, is like my parents are, my parents immigrated to Canada from Tanzania, which, you know, is on the equator in East Africa. They were settled there, but they were displaced people, too, right? Originally, my family's from India. So we moved two generations in Africa and then moved to Canada. And, you know, my dad left Africa at 17 years old. At 17 years old, I could not get to school on time. At 17 years old, he left East Africa, a developing country with not a lot of money, hardly any English, and he went to London because he had decided he needed life to be better. At 17, I wasn't finishing my homework. And as I got older and I realized when he did that, the life that he gave me and my brother, and as a result of that, my children and my family, that's the power of people. He changed the course of our existence. He gave us an opportunity. So I really take that seriously and think about what am I going to do with that with that opportunity
0: and I think that the second part of that opening line the bias (laughs) for action (laughs) piece um, I was gonna ask what that means and looks like but you've uh, that described it so beautifully right there I'm just
1: really impatient
0: Um, <laughs> I hate stuckness Megan if I can
1: tell mm-hmm. you it's my biggest it's my fear it's my stress it's my negative energy is stuckness. Stuckness. Oh, stuckness stuck being stuck on a problem yep. being stuck in a mindset you know a group of people who can't get past something um, my old line was that I was an optimistic problem solver and I felt like uh, that was it like there's always a way out right mm-hmm. it does take compromise and it does take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and it's never perfect but being stuck is worse Right. Right. And when I think about the climate crisis right now and the number of solutions that are out there and the ideas and it could be this and it could be that. And like, you know, again, we can get into it more. But as opposed to the infighting, let's get going. Let's try many things. Let's get part of the way. Let's get the rest of the way. You know, we have the know how What we need is the will.
0: So you are now at the Atmospheric Fund. Yeah. What's what's been your path to get there, what have been some of your, um, how would you describe your journey to get there and, and maybe even highlighting some of the, the things that you've unstuck along the way. <laughs> like before we get into the work that you're doing currently, what's, uh, what, what brought you there?
1: What brought me to TAF, the Atmospheric Fund. Well, I have had a crush on the Atmospheric Fund for a long time. Uh, the Atmospheric Fund uh, has a really smart, simple model which they operate so a bunch of years ago the city of Toronto sold some assets I want to say a building and some land Uh, anyways unlocked millions of dollars into about 22 24 million dollars and they created an endowment fund and the fund was called at the time Toronto atmospheric fund today we're the atmospheric fund because we serve beyond Toronto anyways put the endowment aside the endowments generating interest and revenue and and through uh, through investments it can generate more and the mandate of this Team of two was to use that money on environmental action at the time and now specifically climate action. Our mandate is to help deliver the you know, transform TO and all the climate action plans that are in the greater Toronto-Hamilton area. And this made a lot of sense to me because the endowment was not getting smaller over time, the endowment was getting bigger. And I cut my teeth in the nonprofit sector. I cut my teeth writing proposals and seeking funding and pitching ideas and saying this is really important. If we could only get this much money, I could do this work. And it is hard because you want to focus on the campaign that the world needs, or the change in industry, or bringing a set of stakeholders together. And yet, you have to do a ton of legwork to build interest and show some kind of business case and some kind of ROI to a whole set of people. Like that takes a lot of effort. It just you know it takes a lot of resources. It also um, creates difficulties and complexities. And I mean, I don't want to take us down. A total tangent here but I admired the way TAF worked because the money was locked in the mandate was locked in and now the group was empowered to go and deliver programs and the kinds of programs they delivered weren't um, they weren't one-offs this was about uh, proving out solutions like de-risking the solution and then getting it ready for scale and n-wave uh, is one of those first projects n-wave deep lake water cooling, right? There's the you know, the smart observation, the R&D, the technology to show, hey, if we could collect some of that cold temperature from the bottom of Lake Ontario, we could pipe it into buildings and help pre-cool air and reduce the ne- amount of energy needed to air condition our tall towers. Yeah, it sounds like it works on paper. TAF gets involved in an early stage mm-hmm. to get it off paper and into the world. You know, everything from community grants that we provide, you know, in the in the sort of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars level, all the way into significant direct investments in ideas and then seeing that proven out, the case study drafted, and then that asset sold back to the city. Mm. Right? And now yeah. and now right now as we sit here I mean it was old then but right now and wave is being expanded to support yeah. a whole new jurisdiction an entire neighborhood's gonna yeah. be built on it so you know I've gone on too long no, TAF TAF good. uses grant making okay. it uses impact investing we do the program and work ourselves and we advocate for policy but it's built on a scalable model and I was really excited right now about it because you know the country is noticed yes so instead of this being stuck as a secret weapon that Toronto had, and then the province noticed and invested in us, and now we serve the GTHA. The federal government noticed yes. this model can work. We have the capital to deploy climate action and low carbon solutions. We just need to use it in the right ways. And so now um, my colleagues are working to set up similar organizations in provinces across the country so that there is the money available and the model to get these uh, solutions into play in the real world. Cities are part of our everyday life. They get us from point A to B. <clears throat> cities are built to serve us. We built them to serve our needs and to be productive and efficient and creative and get our you know, human energy mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And in that way, cities are really powerful governing bodies that have access to all the things that make our lives tick, right? Climate change is a human problem. The earth is going to be fine. <laughs> it's going to be different. Climate change is a human problem. And so I think that's why cities are being understood now and viewed and recognized and empowered. Uh, you know, especially for the cities that are taking that uh, to, you know, to be uh, a place of action. They're also extremely nimble. And I think also when it comes to government, government has a massive role to play, and we can get into that. But my city is the, is the government I can understand the most, right? Like my sidewalk and why is it cracked and this pothole and that school and this library. Like those are the parts of, um, <clears throat> you know, civil society that we engage with the most directly so they're the most real to us. And I think that's why they've become... Um, a hotbed and recognized and also empowered and I mean for TAF that's where we work we serve uh, you know the greater Toronto Hamilton area and all the municipalities in it and there are tremendous people in there who um, we can replicate ideas across the region right 50% of Ontario lives in the region that we serve Peel region is doing some amazing work right now trying to shift deliveries off peak as a way Mm. to improve uh, like reduce noise but also, when there's less congestion in traffic, you reduce air pollution and you improve fuel efficiency. Right. Small maneuver, test it out in Peel. If it works there with local retailers, noise re- uh, noise issues are not raised by the citizens, scale it out across the GTHA. So TAF, then, our mandate is really to identify those opportunities, fund them, see them through, capture the learnings, and help scale them through the region really rapidly.
0: What are your challenges? What are your challenges? What are What's tough? What's tough about this work? What we know it's challenging. That, like, yeah. What is... What's toughest
1: is change, right? Mm-hmm. Now we have to go a little faster. Now we have to stomach a little more risk. Now we have to be a little more bold at a time where maybe we would have wanted to sort of build a bridge. Now we have to dig our heels in, go. right? Yeah. Um, and that's happening to us. And that's the change we're asking to see mm-hmm. in the energy sector, in the fossil fuel sector, in policy, right? time to blow it up yeah okay we tried that way we got to do something different yeah and I really really am recognizing that because there are things that we want to try at taft to help us go a little faster or or move a little more quickly or stomach a little more risk right or think outside the box and it's not that people are unwilling to but that's hard it's not we're not wired for change yeah. we're wired to stay away from lions yes. so <laughs> so when you see something different coming you run because it could be a lion I, I think I remind myself about that all the time oh, but it also um remind my colleagues, like, change is what we are asking of the world. Change is what we are asking of citizens. Change is what we're asking of leaders and politicians and old, crunchy people in boardrooms. And we need to be able to do it ourselves. So it's tough, uh, but it's the right place to put our energy because what I do also value is it helps us radically empathize with what we're trying to achieve. It takes the anger out of it, and it helps you then build a bridge.
0: Now, I want to talk to you about your experience as a woman in the sector. yeah. As a leader, I see you as a leader in the sector, absolutely. And as someone who's had a diverse set of experiences in different types of work environments that you've spoken about, what stands out for you as some of the different challenges and opportunities that you have faced as a woman um, in the climate and energy sector? i mm. curious what your experience has been. Yeah, that's a good
1: question. My general experience uh, has at a personal level been been positive. I, I'm either totally unaware of things yeah. that have happened or, or judgments that have been made. Um, or I, I should just really recognize that I've been really well supported and, and, and thankful for that. And I do, at a personal level, always make sure to extend that to any young person or or any person of mm-hmm. any age who is you know looking for career development or coaching. One of the things I think uh, is inter- is interesting and important to recognize though is it's not the same throughout the energy sector. Um, who cares? Stand up, be loud, be proud. You know, this is what I want to tell uh, you know, um, young people. I, I had a, I had a, a cup of coffee with a colleague last week who was asking me some questions about her career and, I, and, I, and she was saying, you know, when will I get asked about this and when will mm-hmm. someone want my opinion on that? And I was like, never. Right. There will never be... You know, it, it will happen, right? And, yeah. and and I've had some terrific leaders and, and, and bosses in my time who have asked me about remuneration and salary and my career goals, but that's the exception. And I, and I would tell anyone, you know, stand up for yourself and, and be brave because the world is different now. But one of the things I think is really important, and I'm seeing this in the organizations that I am part of, now that we're talking about gender, and we're talking about race, and we're talking about culture, and we're talking about identity. I'm really proud of that first step. Where I wonder, where and where we're going to need a lot of emphasis. This is on how we, um, especially, especially in a sector that's got like a high degree of sort of like an ethical compass. How do you actually talk about it in the workplace? Right. Right. When someone uses a colloquialism that's rooted in something, um, you know, gender-based or racial-based, or a microaggression, or a <laughs> triggering word. How do we bring it up then? Right, and this is a tricky part, um, and and uh, and it's something that you know I'm open to say like we're even. Talking about how to talk about it. Yep. How do we create Go signals ahead. or spaces that allow us to let our guard down for a moment? Because it's really uh, natural to respond and to respond with some kind of defensiveness or reaction on both parts mm-hmm. or, on, or, on, or on however many people are there. And we need space as we, you know, at, at the Atmospheric Fund right now, we are looking at equal by 30 commitments and we're That's going right. to endorse them. But the biggest question is how are we going to get better? Making the commitments is actually funnily easy. Right. Who doesn't want to sign up to those right but how we change the way we operate how we listen for words or behaviors and then talk about them and coach ourselves to be better is really important and sensitive and requires patience and so that's uh that's the part i think is challenging but that's the part i would encourage people to put more time and effort because yeah. you know sort of saying the words is easy it's the action that matters yeah. though
0: what has been your kind of looking more at the day-to-day so looking at the microcosmo of your day yeah what has, very, what huh. has been, I want to know about it. Like what's your <laughs> approach to navigating your day to day? You are, you know, tremendous uh, energy and passion and this, you know, how do you, um, how do you do it as a leader, as a, as a mother, a partner, a friend, a cousin, a daughter? How do you, you know, and what are the, I'm, I'm always interested and curious about the daily rituals and practices and habits that support uh, support you uh, mentally, physically, spiritually, because I, I really, I think that's such an important piece of who we are and the work that we're doing. So I'm curious how that looks for you. Yeah, it's not easy, but
1: a long time ago, someone gave me a really great frame, a really great tool. You know, they acknowledged head on that we have multiple jobs. They said, "Oh, what do you want to do?" You know, the sort of trick question. Where do you want your job to go? Oh, I want to go here. Your other job, your other job, your other job, right? Your, jo- your job as a partner, your job as a, a daughter, your job as a mother, your job as a volunteer board member, your job, you know, oh, right, I've got so many jobs. But what, what the exercise was, was to write down each one of those responsibilities. And, you know, at the time, the best practice, and this is worth noting, was maybe five is plenty. Mm. So first of all, look at them. Are they all jobs you want? Think, you know, job is a funny word, right? Think of them as, you know, okay. And then what do you want for each one of those, right? And start to find common threads, right? And start to pull them all together. That exercise, even though at the time I did it on paper and it really was eye-opening and I was able to set sort of five-year outcomes from that and and, and pull that thread through, I haven't gone back to that sheet of paper physically. I've gone back to it intellectually a lot, in my mind, a lot. Um, because what I took away from it was keep it simple, right? Right? having uh, starting a family um, is 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 hard and expensive and it's difficult work and you don't want to screw it up because it's just the gen you know just another generation on the line and all that Mm -hmm. it has actually simplified my life because now I know what is the most important thing and that's how I managed to keep balance right at the end of the day there's one trump card and it's it's my crew it's the little career our clan and the dent we're trying to make in the universe and so you know work is important and Volunteering is important, and being parts of lots of things is important. Uh, networking is important. Supporting others is important, but it's all in service of this little group of people, and and what we're trying to accomplish. And that has really kept me steady. Um, and then I think over time I also learned about putting myself first. I remember having a sticky note on my door as a teenager that said "Me first. <laughs> and I had to write it down because I I would I would lose it, you know. I would forget about it, um, and, uh, and that's one I've had to practice over time,
0: but a little bit goes such a long way. So. What, is that, what does that look like for you, putting yourself first? Finding the time,
1: you know, what it looks like for me is finding the space and time for the things that are important to me, and sometimes it is, uh, you know, escaping from meditation at four in the morning which thankfully is easy because at four in the morning, nobody needs me. (laughs) There are no emails to write. There is no lunch to pack. There are no questions to answer. Uh, but, but, but doing that and sticking to that, uh, and being ritualized about that. Um, and sometimes it's about saying to my hubby at the end of the day, I want 30 minutes of playing this one video game with you so we can just (laughs) relax and knowing that he's going to say, yeah, and we can do that and we can have a laugh, but just being declarative about it, uh, and finding it and, and, uh, yeah, not letting, not, not letting even one day go by without just checking in with myself. So good.
0: Amazing. All right. Well, um, any books you've read recently? Any influential books in the past year that have stuck out for you? Things people should take a look at? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm, reading, I'm
1: reading a book right now um, after listening to a podcast with the author, which I'm really mm. enjoying. And, uh, it's by Yancey Strickler and it's called, this could be our future. Uh, he's the co-founder of Kickstarter. Oh, cool. And he's got this hypothesis, which I think we share that we've got our values system all wrong, right? Thank you, Milton Friedman. Like we made the dollar the most important thing to value. And we lost sight of what, you know how what's the pursuit to get that dollar what's the impact on the planet what's the impact on people in pursuit of that almighty dollar and we started to do bad things to people to get that Mm -hmm. dollar and we started to not care about the environment to get that dollar and yancy strickler in his book is unpacking that and takes you on a history of how we got there but then The part that I found really juicy and enjoyable is he's got this new frame of thinking about how we recalibrate our values and how we make better decisions and how we simplify that. So I'll I'll let your Mm, listeners uh, enjoy that. But that one is is a lot of fun because it's a tool that I think we can a apply, you know, in our own lives, but b use uh, in climate action work to get people thinking long term um, and more collectively oriented, which is different. We've been taught to pursue like the almighty dollar for me right? This is like the me first mentality. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm going to go against what (laughs) I just said, but champion, championing the us future mentality and how, and how do you do that? And how do you do that in boardrooms and how do you do that? So, so that's a really fun one. Another one I I really like is actually, um, Satya Nadella wrote a book about, he's the CEO of Microsoft and he's written a book about his own story and his own rise from the ranks inside Microsoft up. It surprised me how much this book inspired me. He is a tremendous leader. He leads a big, Old technology company, you know today. Uh, and I like Microsoft, especially after reading the book. But if you'd said to me like, who's the most forward-thinking now I would not have come up with Microsoft. But when you read about how he is running the organization. And how what he asks of his leaders and his staff, and how he treats them, mm-hmm. and the ethics that he brings to that, and the ethics he brings to the work, right? The ethics. So you know, the end it ends off with an essay about the ethics of artificial intelligence. It was really inspiring to know that in these big monolithic brands, I just want to hate and say this is why the world is the way it is. There are really impressive people behind that, and uh, you know, and that and that renews uh,
0: hope. I also found the book just a real pleasure to read. Awesome. Yeah. Two good recommendations. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right, a couple of last questions. Anything else you wanted to say or talk about uh, any final call-outs or things that you wanted to share today? We talked about the power of people, and I have been fascinated.
1: I mean, right now we're seeing people organize in so many capacities, in so many places. We've got the the rail blockades that are happening right here, right now. We've got, you know... uh, Fridays for the Future, Uh, we've got the Hong Kong protests, we've got others that I'm not even aware of because it doesn't make it to my newsfeed and I'm embarrassed about that and um, I've been really inspired by some work by a woman named Erica Chenoweth who has described the importance of and the role of nonviolent protest in changing paradigms and uh, she has done a ton of research uh, and looked at some of the biggest social uprisings in, in in human history and what it took to tip mm. to tip the mind you know tip the mindset tip the policy framework tip government change the rules uh, you know martin luther king like she goes back she goes across the globe and there's this number three and a half percent when three and a half percent of the population gets behind an idea you have air quotes enough now, it's not an exact science, but the reason why this works is because at 3.5%, you have a sizable number of people. When you think of the family and friends and networks of that 3.5%, you recognize, oh, it's a heck of a lot more than 3.5%. When politicians look out at that 3.5%, they start to see their own family and friends and colleagues in that crowd. Even, even uh, She's even got this great anecdote about uh, law enforcement and protesters standing side by side when you get to those numbers even law enforcement starts seeing different people in that crowd mm. and so you've got a, a size of enough um, population and, and demands clear enough to actually topple things and the reason why that's sticking with me is that the change like like we said at the top of the conversation feels insurmountable yeah it feels like everything we know has to change and every one of us has to be bought in but it's not, I don't, I don't actually think that that's entirely the way to paint the picture, right? The world is going to change as we know it. The world changes as we know it all the time. So let's not let that frighten us and, and, and let's not also feel small and, and useless and insignificant uh, in that I think her work has inspired me and now I'm seeing signals of it everywhere. You know, I volunteer for environmental defense and we are seeing the number of people who are providing unsolicited donations to us. You know, our individual giving, is going up faster than we are even campaigning for it Mm. people are finding their voice and we often talk about you know people often ask where do i start what do i do and there are habits i would tell people to adopt and encourage and and bring in sort of a climate awareness into your everyday life where you can do it but most of all use your voice Mm. it's almost surprising I think to a lot of people how much impact using your voice can make and so if we could just take a minute to say like use your voice for sure vote but beyond that right letter writing works donating to your favorite public interest organization works you know when you donate, that organization can get a group of people together and get a multi-signatory letter up to Queen's Park or up to Parliament Hill and they can create public pressure as well as a really smart policy agenda for those folks to follow. So you can do this really strong bottom-up top-down approach and you can drive change your voice really matters Uh, government was built by us for us right we are lucky to live in in one of the more functioning democracies in the world right now so we should use it and that's where when people say i'm too small and Mm -hmm. canada's too small i just don't buy it it's just in how we're looking at it
0: we are going to leave it there that is perfect thank you so much fatima for uh for all the work that you're doing and for sharing your time today and uh this uh power of the people and bias for action let's uh thank you for sharing it with us today thank you megan thanks for giving voice to all the work that's getting done out there oh it is a pleasure and a joy thank you thank you for listening to the plugged in podcast i'm having so much fun bringing this to you and i hope you enjoy it as well let me know what you think share it rate it leave a review reach out i am on instagram twitter facebook linkedin All the info can be found at pluggedinpodcast.ca. I am super thankful for all the love and support behind the scenes. Some special call outs to Ursilia Serafini and Summerhill for supporting me with the time to explore and work on this personal project. So appreciated. And finally to my guests, thank you for being the inspiration. Join me next time on the Plugged In Podcast.